as we come we're continuing on with our subject demonstrating uh, the kingdom this is the second part we'll finish it tonight part three tonight Matthew chapter 12 and uh, verse 28 we'll just pray Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today for the goodness of our God. We thank you for the power that is in the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that we are gathered together in that name that is above all names. And Lord, everything is subject to you and everything is under your feet. And so, Lord, we come, Lord, with a confidence in the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, that you would let loose your power Lord, in this room today, that you would touch us afresh with the power of the Holy Ghost, that you would open our hearts and our understanding, Lord, that you would enlighten our minds by your Spirit and bring the revelation, Lord, of this topic that we're on. Lord, we realize that the words of man will fall to the ground and die, but Lord, we pray for the quickening power of the Holy Ghost to come among us today. Lord, we're looking for a fresh demonstration of the kingdom of God, Lord, not in might, Lord, not in our own intellect, but by the power of the Holy Ghost. So, Lord, would you speak to your hearts today, anoint us all to hear. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts that are open, Lord, that your word would not return on to your void. Have your way, Lord. Lord, bless those that are traveling, Lord, those that will come among us today. Lord, undertake for them, Lord. We just pray, Lord, it's your purposes, Lord, will be revealed, Lord, that you would do a work in this house both this morning and tonight, Lord. Oh, God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said it. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus said, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of the Lord, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. This is an indication that the kingdom is being demonstrated, the casting out of devils. Over into Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12. Matthew 21 verse 12 through to verse 17. And Jesus went into the temple of God, cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, said unto them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came into the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said unto them, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there we're preaching just on the demonstration of the kingdom of God. We see a wonderful pattern here in the house of God, the temple of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 21, we see the Lord cleansing the house, cleansing the temple of the Lord. And after he cleansed the temple, we see the power of God is let loose in that house to the deliverance of those that were lame and sick and oppressed. And then the wonderful end of it all was the house was filled with the praises of God. We see the pattern that's so important for us in these days, the cleansing of the house, the power of God, the heal those that are oppressed and that are sick. 
And then the house filled with the praises of Almighty God. We know, we know that this house, as we gather together in the name of the Lord, no matter how small or grand or how humble it may be, but the gathering of God's people is the house of God. We know that is the house of God. If you turn over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul tells us there, then we'll go into 1 Peter 2 and 5, but we want to understand that this is the house of God this morning, not the bricks and the mortar or the seats, but the people, those that are saved, washed in the blood, delivered by the power of God as they gather together in the name of the Lord. This place is the house of God. This has become the house of God. You're in God's house this morning, not in the structure, but the gathering of God's people. Ephesians 2 and 20 tells us, and are built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together. What for? For a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's the purpose of God for our gathering this morning. It's not going to a meeting at 11 o'clock or 6.30, but it's the gathering of the people of God in His name that this place becomes the house of God, a habitation of God Almighty through the Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, this revelation comes by, this, by the Word of God and the Spirit should enlighten our understandings. 1 Peter 2 and 5 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up. What are we? We are a spiritual house. That's so important. We are a holy priesthood. Now we see Peter is using the pattern of the Old Testament to bring the revelation of the new. This is not the shadow. This is the reality. The old was the shadow, but the New Testament and the understanding of a spiritual house, this is the reality. We're not living in the shadow. We're living in the reality and the good of it. So here he uses the Old Testament pattern of the house to bring the revelation of the new. 1 Peter 2 and 5, we are lively stones. We are built up a spiritual house. We are a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. And what are we to do? We are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Here we see the, the whole language that, that Peter is using is on the type of the old. So when you read about the temple or the tabernacle, these were patterns that Moses received from heaven. But these were shadows of the reality what was to come. So we have a holy place. We have the Holy of Holies. We have a place of sacrifice. We are to become into the house of God this morning as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. That's our reasonable service. Have you come through the doors with thanksgiving in your heart? Have you come this morning to offer up a sacrifice of praise? Have you entered into the Holy of Holies through and by the blood of the Lamb? Have you come this morning as ministers of a new covenant? Have you come as the priesthood of believers? Have you come to lift up your hands, lifting up holy hands to God? Have you come there's a mercy seat right in the center of that Holy of Holies. There's mercy in the house of God. And most of all, friends, besides everything else, what distinguished the old was the glory of the Lord was in the midst. The glory of God in the temple. Friends, that is the Holy Ghost. 
That is the power and the reality of the Holy Spirit. The glory of the Lord bringing the person of Jesus and manifesting His life, His power, right in the midst of His people. The critical observation for us in the old is the manifestation of the glory of the Lord. Now Haggai 2, if you can slip into the Old Testament for a moment and see the prophetic unfolding. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6. This is the sovereign act of God that will unfold, I believe, in the days in which we're living in. We are about to witness as the Lord is about to come. But before His coming, I believe that there is going to be a shaking in the nations. That is happening currently. That is not about to happen. There's a shaking in the nations. But also what will happen at that time, there will be a latter glory in God's house. Where's God's house? It's where the twos or threes are gathered in his name. Always remember that. It's, it's not the temple in Jerusalem today. It's not the rebuilding of that temple. That will happen. But that is not, that is not what we're looking for. This is the reality of God this morning. So the glory of the latter house. Where is the latter house? Who is the latter house? This is the latter house where there's believers gathered in the name of the Lord. Jesus said where two or three are gathered in. His name, where is He? He's in the midst. But friends, we don't want it by word only. We want it in the demonstration and the power of a living Christ. We looked at it last week. When that unclean spirit, that devil walked through the door. Every week they would come to church. That man would come every week to church. But this day was going to be different because there was a manifestation of the life of God. So that man was wonderfully set free by the power of a risen Christ. And so we're looking for this latter glory. Haggai 2 and 6. For thus saith the Lord. It's also repeated in Hebrews. For thus saith the Lord of hosts. Yet once it is a little while. And this is what's going to happen. And I believe this is the beginning of sorrows. And we already have moved into this season. And the Bible talks, these are the beginning of sorrows. This is the last days. But here we find what is going to happen. I'll shake the heavens. I'll shake the earth. I'll shake the sea. And I'll, I'll shake the dry land. There's a shaking in the nations. Would you agree with me? There's a shaking in our nations. Friends, don't be put off by all the big sways and all the crowds running to this, that, and the other. There's a shaking in the nations in these final days. God said, I'll shake it. And God is shaking the nations. The political systems, the economic systems, the social systems of man are being shaken by the almighty hand of God. God's in control. Jesus is on the throne. And there's a move of God about to happen. Haggai chapter 2 says that I will shake the nations. Verse 7, the desire of all nations shall come. But then he makes a promise. I will fill this house. What house? The house of God. That's the gathering of the people of God. That's those that are born of the Spirit, washed in the blood, full of the Holy Ghost. I will come to those local assemblies that are scattered all across this earth. Got a wee email from Bishley from Nepal. His wife is and him are traveling seven hours in the dark. We know what that would be like. It wouldn't like to travel seven, seven minutes in the dark in Nepal. But going up into one of those wee mountain regions where there's a gathering of we Nepalese Christians right away up in one of those wee huts. Let me tell you, that's the house of God. 
and the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. He says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts, and the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place, in this place, will I give peace. That's Jesus, saith the Lord of hosts. That is a sovereign act of God. God sovereignly in His purpose and will will pick the moment and the time that there will be a glory that will be manifested in that latter house, that end time church. We are the end time church. We are in the last days. There is a sovereign act of God that will be manifested, the glory of the Lord in the house of God. He'll fill this house with His glory. That's about to happen, friends. I believe that. But that's God's timing and that's God's business. We can't quicken that. We can't make that happen. God will do it and do it in His time. I wish it was this morning. I wish it was this morning. I wish the glory would fall this morning. I wish the house would be filled with the power and the presence of a risen Christ. That's the desire that He's put in our hearts. That's what we long for. The glory of God in His house. The manifestation of the King of glory by the Holy Ghost. But friends, I want to point something out to you. The filling of the Holy Ghost, the baptism in the Holy Ghost, has already, just listen to my words, God has already sovereignly enacted the promise. It's already there. God's already given the promise to as many as He'll call. To as many as He would call. Those that are saved. He's given a promise. It's the promise of the Father. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That is available this morning to every Christian in this room. That's the promise of God. That is God's purpose. God's promise that in His Word. We believe this morning as we gathered round the table of the Lord, there is no other means by which a man can be saved. We heard it from Clive this morning. I loved it. I'm just trusting the blood to get me into heaven. There's no other way in, friends. There's no other means this morning. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. Not one of us this morning here is saved. We believe that there's any other way, any other means, any other method in which a man could be saved. But we're living in a day where Christianity, the church is trying to redefine Christianity. You cannot redefine the cross of Christ. You cannot redefine the blood of Jesus. You cannot redefine the Word of God. But the church is trying to redefine the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We're trying to redefine how we gather, how we look, how we dress, what we say, what translation we do. We're trying to redefine it through the whole worship craze. Brothers and sisters, you can't redefine Jesus. What Leonard Ravenhill said is this, we are not looking to redefine Christianity, but Christianity needs a fresh demonstration of the kingdom of God. You might be in your lorry, Stephen. You may not be dressed in a suit, but the life of God is in Stephen Nixon. You may be standing at your kitchen sink, but the life of God is in you. You might be walking down Main Street in your jeans and your t-shirt tomorrow, but the life of God, it's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. 
And so while we try to redefine it, that you have to take your shirt off, you have to take your tie off, you have to put your clothes on this way, you have to put your hair this way, you have to be casual, you have to be brothers and sisters. It's a demonstration of the kingdom. And we have redefined it today. That's why we have all the changes. That's why we're out with the Sunday nights. That's why we're out with this. We're in with the smoke machines and the lights. Oh, don't be mentioning that. We get all upset. Friends, I was delivered from the Copacabana. And thank God I'm saved. Why would I want to go back to it this morning? Well, it attracts the young people. Friends, I tell you, what delivers the young people is the cross of Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else, friends. Nothing else. It's the cross of Christ. We are trying to redefine it. I tell you, friends, it's time the church got filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. That's enough. The cross is enough. The gospel's enough. It worked for me and it works for you. It's the power of God on the salvation. So we're, 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 we're struggling. We're drowning in the redefinition of Christianity. We're, we're drowning in all the, the new means and the new... See, once you go the way... See, once you go the way, friends, you're going to constantly be trying to keep up with the Joneses. Well, they've got a better light system. They have a better sound system. They have a better smoke machine. They have a better way. They've got fire tunnels. They've got... Friends, this morning, we need the Holy Ghost. And the gospel works. It's a part of God on the salvation. No other gospel. No other cross. No other Jesus. No other word this morning. Brothers and sisters, the old paths are the best way. They've been well trodden and there's a host of, of saints in heaven and they're saying, run on brother, run on sister, keep going. This morning the whole persuasion is to get us to go back. Remember when they got out halfway through that wilderness, we're better to go back. What are they doing? They're trying to get us to use the worldly means in order to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Try the leeks and the garlic. Remember the good old days. I want to tell you, friends, there's a couple of Caleb's and there's a couple of Joshes in here saying, we are not going back to Egypt. We are going through to claim the promise of the Father. It's a baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. So we got to go forward. None of us would say this morning that there's any other means by which a man can be saved, but through Jesus, the cross, and the precious blood. Now as Christ is exalted, far above all things, defeated death, sin, the devil, he's ascended up and high. We'll look a wee bit more at it tonight. And he sat down, and he's head. Friends, listen this morning, he's head over all. He's head over all things. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. This is Paul's prayer. For the church, and I believe it's under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 and 17. That the God, Ephesians 1 17, I'll let you get there. Ephesians 1 17, here's the prayer. Here's the prayer. Make it your prayer this morning. That the God, Ephesians 1 17, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you. Are you praying this this morning? The Spirit of wisdom. And the revelation and the knowledge of Him. Are you making that prayer? Lord, give us the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of what? Of Him. That's what I want. That's my prayer. Is that your prayer this morning, saints? That the eyes, 
Make this your prayer. That the eyes of my understanding would be enlightened. That means illuminated. What happens? Is that because you've been studying theology or you've got some doctorate or you've got some degree this morning? No. This is the Holy Spirit taking the words out of this book and illuminating your mind and bringing the revelation of Jesus. That's what that is. Brothers and sisters, I'm not against the, the, the learning and the Bible school is good to study to show yourself approved. But I want to tell you, on your knees with a book open, it's the best place to be. And the Holy Ghost will be your teacher and He'll illuminate the pages and give you a revelation of Jesus and all that He's done. Is there anything else a man or a woman would need? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what the hope of His calling and what, listen to this, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Brothers and sisters, are we reading it this morning? Do we get it? I know we might be able to quote it, but are we getting it this morning? Look at this. The riches of the glory of his inheritance that's in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Is there a few believers here this morning? Is there a few believers exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Think of this is Paul's prayer for the church. What a prayer. Is that your prayer? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet, give him to be head over all things to the church. What is it? Now here's a revelation. It's his body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. The fullness of him that fills all in all. Now I want, to, I want you to carry through with me this morning because we're looking to see a demonstration of the kingdom. Not only on the streets, but it has to begin in God's house. That's where it has to begin. The revelation of this has to begin here. He would bring, how would he bring we read that, the fullness of him. Here's his body this morning. You're his body. I'm part of his body. He's the head. Think about that. He's seated. We're looking and going, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Everything's under his feet. He's the head. But then he said that he fills all in all, the fullness of him that fills every vessel that's saved this morning. You're not saved. He wants to save you. He wants to deliver you. If you're saved this morning, then... The whole flow of that from the head is that every member of his body would be full of Jesus Christ. Is that your desire? Isn't that, a, isn't that an awesome re revelation that he wants to fill you? Do you want filled with him? And so he says, how could this happen? What, what, what means? We, we know there's no other means by which a man can be saved but the cross. We'd all agree with that. We'd all say amen to that. Isn't that right? Can't be saved by any other... But then Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's far above all those principalities and powers. He's the head and his desire is to fill the whole body, bring the whole revelation of this, us, that to us. How would he bring the riches of his glory, the victory of the cross, everything of that finished work to us, the power of the resurrection, the healing, the life, the glory, the fullness, the peace, the joy unspeakable, this is the kingdom of God. It's not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace. What is it? It's joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom. 
That's what it should be. That's what the Holy Spirit will bring. Righteousness, right living, holy life, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's God's kingdom. It's not a carnal thing. It's not meat and drink. Friends, it's the righteousness, the peace of God, and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what he wants to bring. And so it tells us, how do we know? How can this be communicated to us? We're on earth. He's in heaven. How does this happen? John 16 and 7 is the answer. And I want you to see this this morning. John 16 and 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus said, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, he says, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Here is the here. You would not dream for a moment of saying there's any other means by which a man can be saved but through the cross. We believe that this morning absolutely fundamentally. It is a fundamental of the Christian faith. How in all the riches of his glory is that communicated to us in the earth? We wouldn't dream this morning, surely, brothers and sisters, of saying it's by any other means but by the person of the Holy Spirit. Yet, yet, today we talk little of the Holy Spirit, teach little of the Holy Spirit. Actually, we nearly banish the Holy Spirit from taking control of our meetings. Theologically, we, we bring out all the, the rights and the wrongs of what everything should happen to try and prevent the Holy Spirit from actually coming. We don't even believe there's a Holy Spirit, some would say. That's the tragedy of our day. Leonard Ravenhill said, he was talking in a message, and he said these words, he was talking to his friend A.W. Tozer, and Tozer said, Len, when we stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we have done in this body, we will, we will, we'll give an account of that. And Tozer said, Len, when we stand there, we see the glory, the splendor, and the majesty, and the riches of his glory. This is what Tozer and Ravenhill were talking about. He says, we'll look back with shame and despair and say, why did we live like paupers? Why did we live the way we did? When we actually gaze on him, whose eyes are as flaming fire, as her is as white as snow, and all the glory and the majesty of the risen Christ, the Lamb of God, saved by grace alone, there by the grace of God, by the blood of Christ, as, as Clive said this morning. But yet, why do we sell it so short? Why do we live like spiritual paupers when we could have had the fullness and the riches and the glory and the manifestation of his power. Either we've been deceived from believing in the absolute necessity in the person of the Holy Spirit. The baptism has become optional extra. But would you ever suggest that the cross is optional? Never would you say that. But why would we allow the theology and the mindset and the tradition of men to tell us that the Holy Spirit is optional? Can you believe, would that happen in Ulster? Happens everywhere. If the Holy Spirit, it was Ravenhill said, was to be taken from the church today, 98 or 95% of it would just keep going. Business as usual. They would not even know that the Holy Spirit wasn't there. Or the other side of this. 
Either we have been deceived in not believing it, and certainly in this church we do believe it, you believe it. Or the Holy Spirit, I want you to listen very carefully. The Holy Spirit is not an agency, a thing, or an it, or a method, but the Holy Spirit is a person. And being a person, the third person of a triune God, is it possible that he's grieved? Is that possible? Is it possible that he's grieved? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Either we're deceived into believing that we don't need him, or the Holy Spirit is grieved. Ephesians 4, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. I want you to listen to me this morning. Brothers and sisters, listen to the Spirit of God speaking to you which is corrupt according to the deceitfulness of your lusts. But be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created, here is the new man. He's created in righteousness and true holiness. Now listen, I want you to listen just for a wee second. A lot of people right at this point, rightly so, will Go to the, 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 the understanding of the doctrine of justification. In other words, I am justified not on any basis of what I've done. I am solely justified on the basis of everything that he's done. Yes, absolutely. Nothing else. He's done it. But the Bible tells us, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. So now we're talking about another doctrine. It's called sanctification. That's the process of God working in your life. In other words, praise God, you're not what you used to be. Amen? You're, you're, you're not what you, you don't talk the way you used to talk, surely. The, the vileness doesn't come out of your mouth. The wickedness in your heart. You've been changed by the power of God. If any man's in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature. What happens? Old things pass away. So what I used to be, I'm not anymore. There might be a record of it down in this earth. But I want to tell you there's no record of it in heaven. And so now we're looking at what it is to live a holy life. In other words, brothers and sisters, with, with the distortion of the grace message today that we looked at last week, we just say it's grace. That means you can live whatever way you want. That's a distortion of what grace is. And it's scary, friends, where it is, where it's come to. You can live like a devil on a Monday morning and you can come into the house of God, raise your hands, shout hallelujah, and then that's okay. I want to tell you, friends, we will all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll give an account of what we did in this body. That's a sobering thing. It should. It sobers me. I hope it sobers you. Does it sober you? It should because we're to live a sober life. And so we're created in righteousness, true holiness. Now, verse 25, look at this. This is the new man. This is the way we're supposed to live. This is a Christian. 
This is the definition of a Christian. We're not redefining it. This is what the Word says. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Then let the sun go down upon your wrath. Never give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But let him, but, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he might have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Ghost. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Is he grieved? Is he grieved? As a person, the Holy Spirit can be grieved, can be hindered. In the body, can be grieved, can be hindered. The flow, the life, the power, the healings, the deliverances that we're all praying for. What if he's grieved? Brothers and sisters, what's the, what normally happens in church life at these times is somebody's sitting thinking about somebody else. I want to ask you this morning, what about you and what about me? Have I grieved the Holy Ghost? Have I grieved him? Have you grieved him? Is the Holy Ghost grieved? Think about it. We want to see a move of God. We want to see the power of God let loose. We want to see this town impacted by the power of a living Christ. We want to see this nation change. But friends, I want to tell you, judgment begins at the house of God. Have you grieved the Holy Ghost? Lying? Stealing? Have you given place to the devil? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, Evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Have you grieved him? You see, either we're deceived that we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is absolutely the necessity for our life, for the church individually, corporately, we need to be filled with God, the power of God. I believe I'm amongst people who believe that. We believe that, don't we? Amen. In an age where they want to remove the word Pentecostal, it's not a denomination. It's an experience of the power of God. But we want to redefine it because we want to make it more acceptable to the world Friends, men come out of that upper room and perceive they were drunk. In every revival that's ever come, there was experiences in the Holy Ghost, even amongst the good old Presbyterians in 1859. Friends, let me tell you something. Read the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the good old Presbyterians, not in any way saying anything against it, but people were carried out of the house of God. So is it possible that the Holy Spirit is grieved? Well then, as Christians this morning, as sons 
whom he loves, what does he do? If he loves us, he'll, he'll chast, won't he? That's a sign of his love. Let me ask you this morning, friend, are you willing to open your heart to allow God to deal with you? Am I? Are we willing for that? Are we willing to make ourselves vulnerable? Are we willing to say, Lord, you know, when they sat around the table with the Lord, the Lord says, one of you will betray me. Is it me? Is it John? Is it Peter? Is it, Lord, is it I? Let me tell you, friends, he came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. The Holy Spirit hasn't come to condemn us, but he's come to convict us convict us. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But don't end there. Don't end there. Who walk not after what? The flesh. And so let me look at a few things this morning. Would you stay with me? In Joshua chapter 7 it tells us there of a great battle that God's people were in. First thing I want to look at is are you living a holy life? Are you living a holy life? I'm not talking about how you look on the outside. Not talking about how, how big your Bible is. Not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about the holiness of a life. I'm talking about in your private life. Are you living a holy life? In this story here, we read of a man called Achan. The people of God went up uh, to fight this great fight, this great battle. You probably know the story very well. But they were defeated when they went. And they knew then there was something that wasn't right. There was sin in the camp. There was sin in the camp. Sin in the camp has an effect upon the body. Did you know that? Did you, did you know that? It has an effect on the body. The whole body, not just the individual, but the body has an effect. This is why some are sick and some of you have slept. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? There hasn't been a discerning of the body of the Lord. How am I to interact in this body? So there's sin in the camp. Well, Achan thought that nobody knew about it. So Achan buried what he had taken from the enemy and put it in his tent. Nobody knows about it. The tent's there. It's buried in the floor. Everything's fine. Let's everybody carry on. We'll just keep going away. We always go. But there's no victory. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, unconfessed sin in the life, habitual sin will bring defeat. And God hasn't purchased you defeat. He's purchased you victory. But you see, it's real. He's a holy God. He's a thrice holy God. And when there's sin in the life, the first thing that the enemy wants to do is keep it hidden. He's a master of secrecy. He's a master of secrecy. Why does he want secrecy and to keep it hidden. Do you want to know why? Because then he isolates you. And when he isolates you, his purpose is to destroy you. But if you bring that to God and you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so we've got a, we've got a problem here in this story. Achan believed that he could bury it and carry on. But God knows everything, doesn't he? Well, God knows my heart. Let me tell you something God does know your heart. Well, I know, I just feel in my heart, friends, our hearts are desperately wicked. My heart's just telling me to do this. Be very careful if it is. How many times are we here today? Oh, the Spirit told me. The Spirit told you nothing. 
And so sin in the camp will bring defeat. It will grieve the Holy Spirit. Are, are we willing this morning, brothers and sisters, to go beyond the, the outward and say, God, I'm going to rend my heart today and say, God, I want you to deal with me because I want to experience the living reality and the demonstration of this kingdom. Are you willing to do that? See, friends, if we're not, then the issue with that is pride. That's the issue then. I, I can't do that. I'm fine. Maybe you need that. Maybe I think Davy Woods needs it more than me. See, that stuff, friends, that's, that's pride. I think if he got up to the altar or she got up to the altar, I tell you, want to tell you, friend, this morning, are you willing to say, Lord, here am I. Deal with me. Here's some things that the Lord hates. Maybe not hear that in a lot of churches because it's just, it's just love, love, love all the way. It's not the love of God. Proverbs 6 says, These six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Listen, a proud look, a lion tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, scheming and planning wicked things, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Think of that. Feet that are quick. Let me ask you, if your Facebook holy, Is your Facebook holy? Is your language holy? Is that holy? Oh, I'm holy in church. Is your Facebook holy? Have you got a land tongue? Are you quick to cause mischief? I'll tell you something about this, friends. God hates it. That's what the book says. God hates it. A proud look, a lion tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies. God hates that. God hates it. God hates that. Imagine we're going to have a message today on what God hates. I tell you, friends, there'll not be thousands attending. I'm well aware of that. But this is what God hates. And if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, you should hate it too. Do you hate your sin? Do you hate your whole old nature? Do you hate it? Let me tell you, let me let you into a revelation this morning. All our old natures are the same. They're rotten. I know we try to dress it up and make it look good and talk the right thing and say the right thing, all the Christian cliches. I want to tell you something, friends. That old nature is stinking. It's filthy rags. A false witness that speaks lies. And here's what God hates. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have a lot to answer for in Ulster. God hates that. Do you hate it? Friend, do you hate it? He hates division. He hates people who are trying to sow discord. He hates people that, that try to, to, to do dirty tricks, speak lies. He hates those things, not hates the people. He hates those things. That brings us on to the second one. 
How many people want this? Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in, what does he say? What's the basis of unity? Truth. Most people would say grace. It's truth. This is what it's like. How many people want this? See, when I read this here, I long for this. It's like the precious ointment. Where's Jesus? He's the head, isn't he? He says it's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even orange braid, beard. It went down to the skirts of the garments as the Jew of Hermon and as the Jew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. What was it? Even life. How many people want it? Do you want to experience what it's like for the oil to flow from the head? Think about it. Oil, the fragrance of Christ to flow through the whole body. You know what happens when that happens? There's a blessing in it and there's life forevermore. You're sitting here sick, suddenly there's healing. You're sitting here oppressed, suddenly there's deliverance. You're sitting here troubled, suddenly there's peace. The life and the oil of God. How much do you want that? You know how that comes? It comes when there's unity. And let me tell you something about unity. We're not here to try and join up with everything that's going on. I got very good advice a lot of years ago from Brother Clendenin. The most important thing is you get those people that in that fellowship, you get united. You can't be answerable for what's happening to Tom, Dick and Harry and Billy and Sammy and Freddie and everyone else, but you get united. Brothers and sisters, do you want unity? Surely, I know everybody does. I'm not saying that, that there's somebody here who wouldn't want it. Would not be an awful thing if somebody was here that didn't want it? But unity is based on God's truth. This is what Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called with all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Who wants unity? I know we want the oil, but we've got to have unity for the oil to flow. Do you want unity, brothers and sisters? Do you desire the oil to flow? Let me tell you something. If we don't have the oil, we don't have the anointing. And we might be able to preach, shout, sing, everything else. But if we don't have anointing, do you know what it's like? Just banging timbrels. It's sore in your ears. Do you know when you, you do? You know when you hear it? You're, the discernment in your spirit, you go, eee. Do we want unity? Here's the important thing about the anointing. Listening to Leonard Ravenhill a couple of nights ago when he brought this out. And we thought it was just really powerful. Exodus 30, verse 30. Just turn to it. Exodus 30 and 30, just these two verses. Exodus 30 and 30. I know time's ticking on, but just another few minutes. Exodus 30 and 30. And I shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. I want to tell you in the New Testament context, we are the priesthood of the Lord. 
You're a priest. And now I shall speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generation. Now listen to verse 32. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. I tell you, friends, what we have a mountain of demonstration of today, the flesh, and there's no anointing. It touches the emotions, touches the feelings. It's all emotive, but it's not the anointing because the anointing destroys the yoke. Now, when the anointing came down the head, it went down the beard. It didn't touch the cheeks. It didn't touch the face. It run down the beard and it went down to the skirts. It never touched the flesh. There's no anointing in the flesh, no matter how religious it may be, no matter how may all the stuff, all the apparatus it may have, no matter how religious it may look or how liberal it may look, if there's no anointing, the anointing's never on the flesh. Jesus said, we're told clearly in the scripture, no flesh or glory in my presence. Do we want the anointing? I believe we do, by the way. I'm saying this because I'm with you and hopefully you're with me. We want the anointing. We don't want a demonstration of the flesh. We've, we've had that for years. We don't want a demonstration of the flesh. This country's filled with the demonstration of religious flesh. No matter what breed it comes in, we need the anointing. The anointing comes when there's true unity. That's on the basis of truth and the grace of God. James says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion. And listen to this, there's every evil work. Oh, they're, they're not getting on with each other and there's a bit of thing. I tell you, see, you dig underneath all of that. See, you get the spade out, the spiritual spade, dig a wee bit. What you'll find underneath all of that? You'll find every wicked thing going on that you can imagine. Oh, but Sadie isn't talking to Mary and everything. See, you dig in a wee bit more, what you'll find? Every evil work beyond what you can imagine. Brother Clendenin said, if we pull the curtain across the heart of the church today, it'd be more like the gates of hell than the gates of heaven. Do we want unity, brothers and sisters? Do we endeavor? Is there anything that I would do that would cause a schism or a division in the church by my actions, by my words? Do you endeavor to keep the bond? Do you work at it? It has to be worked at, doesn't it? God's looking holiness. God's looking unity. And I'll tell you another thing God's looking. I'll be finished in a few minutes. He's looking for what he is, not his love. But I want to talk about his love because it's different. So different to the love that's manifested in the church today. In John 13, verse 34, would you turn there, please? What's the opposite of love? Anybody know? Hatred. John 13, 34, Jesus said, John 13, 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. John 15, if you turn over in verse 12, John 15 and verse 12, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, verse 12, this is concerning the last days in which we are in, and we often would look at these verses in the context of the world, but this is in the context and should be taken in the context of the church. And because iniquity shall abound, sin will abound, sin will abound, wickedness will abound. Are we living in a day of an abundance of wickedness and sin? Yes. What will happen? The love of many, this is in the church, will wax cold. Perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. The love of many will wax cold. People will not love God like they once loved him. They'll go cold in their love for Jesus, backslidden. I have one thing against you, that you've left your first love. That's what he said to the church at Ephesus. I have one, you have many great works, but you've left your first love. Because of sin, because God's people will be so caught up in, in, in the worldliness and in the mindset of the world, then their love will wane. They'll not be passionate for Jesus. They'll wax cold. This love of God. Can you ever imagine that? Oh God, baptize us with your love. Because we just go cold. Remember you used to be on fire. Remember you used to pray like a champion. Remember the tears running down your cheeks. Remember the word of God was precious. Remember you wouldn't miss a meeting. Remember on your knees and spending time with the Lord. But wickedness has increased. And the love of many... This goes cold. Not only will it go cold with God, but you see if it's not right that way, it's not going to be right this way. And so people are indifferent. Now here's the love that we're talking about because I know preachers have a, when they get the opportunity, maybe something's not going right and maybe something wrong in the church or something. So we'll just whip open 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's nearly like a love baseball bat and just beat everyone over the head. You've got to love each other. That's it. Friends, I've heard and seen that too many times. That's not, that's not it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is it, but we've got to know what this love is. got to know what love is. God's love, of course, we know the, the word is agape. Agape love, completely different to this world love, completely different to the love which we find in the church today. The love that we find in the church today is little on agape, but it's much on the other one. That's, it's, the Greek word is philio, and it sounds like feelings, doesn't it? it sounds like feelings. It's how you feel. I love you because you're a really nice guy. You brought me an apple tart last week. Davy Woods, I love you. But Davy Woods stands on my toe tomorrow morning. I'd be sore. <laughs> but I still love him. Somebody crosses your path in the church. Somebody says something that you didn't really like. And you go in the corner Toys are out of the pram. It's chaos. What love is that? Do you know what that love is? That's filio. That's all on the basis of how you feel. Let me tell you something. Let's be real. Do you think I'll ever cross you? 
Not intentionally, but do you think I'll cross you? Do you think I'll ever cross you? And, and, and say God gives us another 50 years. Do you think that Tim Mac... Listen, I'll cross you about a million times. Do you think you'll ever cross me? Now here's the difference between the love of the world and sadly what the church is filled with is a filial love. It's all about feelings. Like Big Hassan. Does everyone love Big Hassan? Don't we all love him? He's just like... You just want to bring him home with you. You just love him. Could he ever do anything wrong on you? He's easy to love, isn't he? But you see, it's more than just because of feelings. It has to be more than that. It has to be more than that. It has to be more than feelings. It has to be more than, oh, he's a really nice guy. Doesn't it? Is it just based on how I feel? Is it just based that he's nice to me? Is it just based that you know, there's Neil Mateer. He's a quiet fella, but he's a lovely guy, isn't he? Easy to love, isn't he, Aisling? <laughs> he's easy to love. He's a, he's a lovely fella. But what about, what about Neil? I, I cross you, Neil. What about I do something to you? Maybe I don't even know I've done it. What happens then? What happens then? Friends, I want to tell you something. We're moving into an age where see this filial love, it's going to melt. And the reality of who we are and our walk with Jesus is going to come to the fore. When we're squeezed, what comes out is what we are. Out of the abundance of the heart, that's what you are. As a man thinks, that's what he is. Would it not be the cry? Because this love is not something that's generated by me or you. Would it not be your cry then to say, God, fill me with thy love? Would that be your cry? Saint, would that be your cry? Lord, I want this love. Is that what you want, friends? Honestly, I'm asking you a question you can answer. Do you want this love? Do you cry for a baptism of Calvary's love? That's not a smile on your face. It's not a pat on your back. It's not a thumbs up. You're doing great. This is a love, and the source of that love is Jesus. And who conveys that love to our hearts? Who is it? The Holy Spirit. We put the love of God and we shed abroad in our hearts. So do we need the Holy Spirit? How we grieved him? Another thing, there's two more things, by the way. I'm sorry, but I have to finish it. And this is one that has crippled the church of Jesus Christ, <coughs> quenched the power of God, that the fire, the power, and the life of Jesus doesn't flow by the Holy Spirit. And friends, this is everywhere. Hebrews 12 and verse 15 says these words, we are to look diligently, lest any man feel of the grace of God. Do you want to feel of the grace of God? I certainly don't. I don't want to feel of the grace of God. But this is what it says. Look diligently, lest any man should feel of the grace of God. Lest any, what does it say? Root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And thereby many have been defiled or destroyed. 
Isn't that serious? Now, we are to look diligently at this. We're not just to sort of flick over this Hebrews 12, 15. Oh, yes, I know it first. Read it, bitterness. That's not me. I'm dead on. We are to look at this. We are to gaze at this and say, Lord, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail. You may have been wronged. Great injustices have been done against you. You may have been maligned. You may have been reviled. You may have been let down. You may have been discouraged. You might have been betrayed. But I want to tell you, listen carefully. Look diligently at this. Look diligently. Lest any man or woman fail of the grace of God. What happens? What happens? Then a root gets into that heart. What does it do? What does a wee root do? And it starts to travel down deeper and deeper and deeper. It becomes a stronghold. And friends, it defiles. It destroys you. It It doesn't destroy the person who's wronged you. It destroys you. It destroys you. Listen, listen. It destroys you. The grace of God is to come. You know, I've sat with many people many times. How do you truly forgive? Have you ever asked that question? Put your hand up if you ever asked that question. How do you truly forgive? Right? Because I can say this morning, see, Lyd did done this terrible thing. I mean, she didn't like, but I could say that and say, Lyd, I just forgive you. But is that forgiven there? It's easy to say it, isn't it? Isn't it easy to say? Am I the only one here, by the way? Is it, I know maybe this message is all for me if it is, but is it easy to say, I forgive you, Lid, and I just love you in Jesus' name? And you know in your heart, and I know in my heart, I don't mean that. Because it's not love, it's filio. Well, I, there's a desire to be right. I want to I I be sincere. But I say, Lid, I forgive you, Lid. But in my heart, I haven't experienced what that is. Anyone ever been there? If you haven't been there, I'm going to let you know something. You're going to be there. You're going to be there. So what does he tell us? Look diligently. Lest any man feel what? Of the grace of God. Here's here's where it's right at. You got that in that heart this morning. You know, oh God, I can't do this on my own. I can't do it naturally. I can't do it. I have said it, I've prayed it, I've wept it, I can't do it. But here's the secret in the verse. Look diligently to the grace of God. Because he'll enable you. If you surrender all that to him, he'll enable you by the grace of God to forgive. It's an awesome thing. This is the grace of God. This isn't a lifestyle to live whatever way you want. This is the wonderful grace of God. I'll enable you to do things beyond what you can do naturally. What a grace. Lastly, we're nearly there, but I believe I need to cover these things. Holiness, unity, love, unforgiveness. There might be more that you can think of, but the last one I want to mention to you is the satanic strategies of Satan against the church of Jesus Christ. That's the last one, because I believe, first of all, our duty is that we are right. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he must flee.
In other words, when we're submitting to God, first of all, we're getting right with God and each other. The strategies of Satan against the church of Jesus Christ, is this real? Is there a real strategy of demonic power against the church of Jesus Christ? Is there a warfare? Is there a battle? Are you experiencing the battle, the real battle, a warfare against the church of Jesus Christ? 14 years we've been here in Balnehens, 14 years ago, this, this June, 14 years ago. In those 14 years, Balnehenge is known for two things. It's either known for church splits and divisions, or it's known for suicide. That's the two things that Balnehenge is well known for. Anywhere I go, where are you? Are you a pastor? What, what, where are you? A pa- I'm a pastor in Balnehenge. Are you the church is fighting? I hear Bal- and then the next thing is, I hear Balnehenge has a high suicide rate. That's the two things that normally and commonly will come to me. Let me tell you a few things about just the short time that we've been here, 14 years, and some of you will know this. In 14 years, brothers and sisters, I have heard the absolute horror stories that have happened in the Church of Jesus Christ in Balnehenge. I don't say them and us. I'm talking about us. I have heard the horror stories the horror stories, the ministers that go through Balnehenge is unreal. I've also heard that before we ever came, we're blow-ins, we'll always be blow-ins. Someday we'll blow out, I don't know, but we're certainly going to burn out for Jesus, but we're blow-ins, we'll always be blow-ins. You know that, you know, where are you from? Uh, oh, you're you're blow-in, aren't you? And I go, oh, yeah, I'm a blow-in. Brothers and sisters, before we ever came here, I have heard story after story of unbelievable church wreckage, breakdowns, men who were ministers and pastors in churches in Balnehenge today are in the world. Their marriages are broken. They've lost their families. I want to tell you some friends, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. Rex. Oh, well, I heard one say one time, we got rid of him. We got rid of him. Men have mental breakdowns. Men that are in mental institutions who were men that stood behind pulpits and some good men. Suicide rampant for years. What do we do in all the midst of that? Well, we're New Testament Pentecostal Church, Balnehenge, and never happened to us. Don't you ever believe one word of it? So, what are we to do? Can we cry for revival? If we're not willing to humble ourselves and turn from our own wicked way, I don't believe we have the right to do that. We don't have the right to do that. God does not give us the right to cry for revival if we are not willing to humble ourselves and turn from our own wicked way. The demonic strategies in Balnehinch is serious. 
the secret societies, the Masonic order, all the lodges, the religious spirit, the fighting, the infighting, the church splits after split after split after split after split. Men are wrecked. People are wrecked. Met a man standing in the Ulster Bank, standing with tears, a man in his 80s, standing weeping like a baby. Brothers and sisters, this is the body of Christ. All the world will say is this, that's Christians. They're not going to say that's Brethren, Congregational, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, Baptist, Grace, and the list goes on and on. They're just going to say, that's Christians. That's all they say. So what do we do? I believe with a desire, that's why you're here, to demonstrate the kingdom of God. I believe, I believe everyone in this room has that desire. Would you say amen if you do? We face a demonic strategy to destroy and abort the work of the Lord. Fifty years ago, Lila Malcolmson and her husband Will pulled into town. Somebody gave them a tow, a wee caravan, pulled up in this town, the whole children's meetings up at the Legion Hall as well. Big Davy was part of that, going back 40, 50 years, labored amongst Balna Hinch, and God gave them a vision, unbeknown to us, but God gave them a vision that in Balna Hinch, Balna Hinch would become a hub, and from that place, life would be sent and works would be established. Amen. Standing in George McKim's a couple of years ago, a man came up to us afterwards, I need to speak to you. This man said, he says, about 30 years ago, we held a meeting in the, in the Legion Hall. He says, Balna Hinch was as hard as nails. He says, nothing happened. We had a whole week of meetings. Nobody, nothing. He says, the last night, the Lord gave a prophetic word that a stone, they seen a stone being dropped into the middle of a pond and the ripples going out. That God was about to do something with Balna Hinch. Somehow or the other, I don't know why, still trying to work some things out. 14 years ago, Nikki and I and you have come to Balna Hinch for the purposes of God. There's a vision. There's a heart. Unity is getting behind that vision and saying we're going to believe God for the fulfillment of his purposes, but we're facing a real devil. And if he's going to come in, do you know how he's going to come in? He's going to come in in someone's flesh. Some little fox, some land word, some wrong attitude, some unforgiven spirit. That gives place to the devil. Do you know what he does? Let me tell you something. Friends, if you want to see the work of a fox, come to our wee chicken house or Peter's chicken house after he's got in. And I'm going to tell you something. It's destruction everywhere. Have we a desire to demonstrate the kingdom? Lord, search me. Search me. Submit to God. Resist the devil. What happens? He must flee. 
Let's pray together. Brother David, Johnny, would you come?